What's up, everybody? It's your old friend, John Middlecoff. I'm here to tell you about our friends at Game Time. Here's what I need you to do. Go to your smartphone, download a little app called Game Time. Baseball season's in full swing. Oracle Park. Been there a million times. Never doesn't live up to the hype. Go get yourself some garlic fries, a brewski, maybe uh, some ice cream. They have very good Ghirardelli ice cream there. And when you do that, promo code HAM. So download the Game Time app. Your first pair of tickets, promo code HAM, H-A-M, save $20. The A's, only going to be in the Bay Area for the rest of this season. You probably can basically go for free. Just buy a pair of tickets to any baseball game. They also have comedy shows if you want to check one of those out, or concerts. Game Time app, promo code HAM, save yourself $20. We don't even need to thank you. Just hammer that promo code. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Medical! Hey, B! Hey! Big, 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 big day today, Middlecoff. Ow! We got a guest on the podcast today. Second guest in about three weeks. That's right. We had Greg Papa. And today, one of our favorites. Fellow bald brother. Yeah, that's right. Member of the bald brotherhood. Yeah. For you, David Shaw. Let's get it on, baby. Who, among college coaches, and maybe... He's always been this way. I mean, I definitely the last few years, if you're just a football fan, you see him on the draft. I think he is as comfortable talking about other teams, players, NFL potential, all that kind of stuff. Is and he, hell, I think he's, he might be just as comfortable as any coach talking about anything as as there is. I would tend to agree. I think the the draft experience for him. Now, maybe he was already like this before. He's just as good of a podcast guest as you can have because you can ask him about anything and he will comment. Where college coaches, I know you, I'm sure you'll attest to this. I mean, I just I don't talk to as many of them, but I definitely watch a lot of their interviews. It can be very hit or miss, right? Yeah. I mean, just with things that I guess NFL coaches are like this, but definitely college coaches, if they're not feeling the subject, they ain't messing with it, right? Mm-hmm. And there is sometimes, uh, there's a level of seniority in a program unlike uh, the NFL. I guess the NFL has it with rookies where, you know, they're not going to talk about some freshmen. You know, Saban often loses it. I-, I watched, I remember when we were getting ready for the draft, watching some of his press conferences on Henry Ruggs. He refused to give him any credit as a true freshman. And part of that is just there's a psychological element. You got to keep a guy kind of humble. And just other people's players, you know, a lot of people won't touch that. I mean, you, we probably, you know, you could ask David Schaub, like, scouting reports on the linebacker groups at every program that he's playing last year, and he yeah. would rattle them off. He strengths well, and weaknesses. Yeah. Chase, we could have been like, Chase Claypool, what do you think? Right? Probably also he's unique, unlike some college coaches that are lifetime college coaches. He's been in the NFL. He was – with an NFL organization that's, you know, the Ravens over the last 20 years with Ozzie Newsome, the way you, you always are looking at the scouting element as well as the coaching element. So him now, he's the GM and head coach of the team. That's the one thing cool about college is right. even though there are quote-unquote GMs now, like in the SEC and the Big Ten, the head coach is still the, the, the decision maker, right? The GM doesn't get to sign guys. Yeah. Like Lane Kiffin has a quote-unquote GM. Like if Lane doesn't want to sign the guy and the quote-unquote GM does, the, the kid ain't coming to Ole Miss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and the other part is he probably the, – the most elite players, if they were good students in high school, which is not always the case, but he they do – and we talk about this in the conversation with him, just recruit on such a national level 
that the best players on some of the best teams he would have recruited, right? Like Stanford yeah. recruited Robert Griffin. And on and on and on and on and on. Jameis. Jameis. Johnny? Uh, probably not. Remember that was a chip? Chip was going to sign Johnny? Uh, I, I, I would imagine, yeah. though, for him, probably more quarterbacks than, like, is he recruiting Alabama and LSU's D-line? You know, it's probably hit or miss at positions. Right, right. Yeah, no, you're right. For quarterbacks, it is. Uh, running backs, they've done well nationally with running backs. Yeah. So. Safeties. Good DBs. Yeah. You can find smart DBs. Yeah. Could be DBs, running backs, the offensive skill guys in general, tight ends, wide receivers. He's kind of a cerebral. Quarterbacks, clearly offensive line. I think sometimes it can be difficult to just find blue, blue chip D linemen that, you know. It's difficult just to find, yeah, it's difficult just to find blue chip D linemen on the West yeah. Coast in particular. So, um, do you want to talk about Reggie for a second before we get on to uh, the Coach Shaw interview? Reggie Bush, as of Wednesday, 10 years since the NCAA said USC had to disassociate from him, is back. And, you know, there was. Uh, what, like seven years of the disassociation, we didn't really know if there would be an end to the disassociation, but then a couple years ago, the NCAA Infractions Committee changed the rule that a dissociation can only last a decade. Now, Reggie doesn't have his Heisman, technically, but, you know, you and I, we, we, th- we, we know what we saw. I mean, Reggie's in that category of just one of, I think for both of us, college football fans, one of our favorite athletes of all time as – you know, in, in his college football context. So I'd say in my lifetime, he's as remarkable of a college football player as I've ever seen. I mean, just jaw. you know, when you hear you meet someone 60 that said they watched Bo Jackson or, some, you know, just just historic college football players over the years. I, I just I, I can't remember seeing anything where you just felt like he was a legit man amongst boys. and It was just a joke. And they were the best team in the country, and he was clearly their best player. Yeah. I know Leinart won the Heisman one year, but sometimes quarterbacks can be a product of everything else. And I like Matt Leinart, and I think he had he de- he was deserving of the Heisman. But I don't think many people would have been like, oh, he's the lock best player in the country. Where Reggie, it wasn't even arguable, right? I mean, it was just this guy. I remember DJ said before, at the time, it was like the highest grade he'd ever given. It was, yeah, I mean – it shows you now the timing, right? The league changed dramatically. I think he would have been – think how good – he would have been a first-round pick in 2020. I mean, he was back then, but I think he would have been more functional now and probably been a more dynamic – I mean, an Alvin Kamara, something like that, right? A Christian. But, God, he was just – He might – yeah, it might have been, John, that he might have gone a little lower in the draft but had a more immediate yeah. kind of dynamic impact in the league. Would you say he was the most he, – he was the definitive player of the Pete Carroll era? When you say Pete Carroll, USC, who's the first player that comes yeah. to your mind? Yeah. I mean, you know, the other thing with them was their defense was so good, so Paul Amalu and these guys that came after him, but it's Reggie. Reggie, I think, Reggie and Vince Young, the defining football players of the early 2000s. John David Booty? No, probably not. Probably not. But – I think what's crazy about Reggie, and we kind of got it. We got, you know, the biggest level of this is MJ, where he has this documentary. People are just falling over themselves about Michael that never really, don't really remember seeing him play. I mean, Reggie Bush, uh, Reggie Bush got drafted in 2006. Yeah. There are running backs now. Like, we'll talk to David Shaw about Reggie and Christian McCaffrey. It's understandable that McCaffrey came into college in you know 2014 with Reggie as his favorite player but there are guys that still come into college and it's I found when I talk to them it's mostly SoCal guys that come into school now and Reggie is like their idol even though you're like wait a second you're you would you were like four five how you don't remember Reggie but Reggie just had first of all such a cultural impact his highlights forever. He did. It's not like Reggie. Sometimes we talk about Reggie Bush like he played three years in the NFL and was done. That wasn't the case. He was still on some really good football teams right in the league. And his college highlights are just some of the greatest highlights ever. And then I think he's pretty involved in Southern California. 
in just the youth and youth football. So even though you've got these athletes now in college that don't really remember Reggie, they do hold Reggie up to this like crazy status where they all he's their hero. He's the hero for some of these guys. So like I know Jamar Jefferson, who's a when he came in as a freshman, I guess two years, this is 20. So it would have been 1918. Like Reggie was his guy, even though he doesn't really remember Reggie. Yeah. You I, don't quote me on this, but there is a chance that the high school backfield of Alex Smith, at quarterback and Reggie Bush at running back at Helix high school is the most successful high school or backfield in terms of draft position. One yeah. guy went one, the other guy went two. I get, again, there might be some examples over the years, way back in the day, maybe even the last decade. I don't feel like it off the top of my head. That's pretty fucking good. In back-to-back years. One guy went one, the next year the guy went two. They were high school teammates. How could you top that? I don't know. I it's guess. really remarkable when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, just say that out loud. Imagine if I just said, hey, guy, uh, Archbishop Mitty or Sierra... You know, Canyon or Modern Day or De La Salle, they're high. If I just said, you know, this year, 2020, playing high school football, the quarterback and the running back in the next four years will go be drafted in the top two, both of them. You'd be like, uh, maybe I should just get out there for a game. I mean, I, that's insanity. Well, that I'm, really is insanity. I'm, I'm, um, I'm scanning just like the high schools that have had the best, you know, like the most first round picks, the that kind of thing. But even that, that's different than having two guys that go one and two that play it'd be, with each it'd, other. It'd be like it's if just, I said, you know, you know who Jared Goff's running back was in high school? Christian McCaffrey. You know, or uh, you, you know, uh, you know who Carson Wentz played with? Leonard Fournette. The, the one you always get is, you know, who uh, uh, Clayton Kershaw's catcher was? Yeah, Matt <laughs> Stafford. Sometimes you get some of that. So, you know that. Uh, Shaquille O'Neal was in high school at the same time as Ken Griffey Jr. It's like, okay, I mean, these are all cool. I made that up. But, guy, that's insane. He looks high school. It is insane. How about Glenville High in Cleveland had Dante Whitner go eighth overall in 2006 and Ted Ginn go ninth overall in 2007? Not bad. Not Still bad. not holding a candle to Alex No one's Mann. like, we got to go see that Whitner-Ginn combo. Now, you got to give Teddy Ginn some credit. When the dust settled, he's going to be like, you know, I played in the league for 27 years. I know. (laughs) Forever. (laughs) Everyone says I'm the greatest bust ever. Shut your mouth. No, not even close. The Boses? Pretty good. Do brothers count, though? No, and they were like three years apart. I mean, yes, they count. (laughs) Actually, (laughs) let me take that back. (laughs) Yes. Um, You know, one thing on the Alex E60 – I felt like Reggie, once he got there, it was pretty immediate. Like, oh, my God, they just – this guy is beyond special. You knew right away. When you watch that Alex E60, or even Urban was like, when I got here, I didn't think he was that good. You know, I, I mean, I thought he had some talent, but we had a lot to – we had to Talking remake his Alex, release, yeah. and yeah. he just was like a – and then, boom, he just became the star. I felt like – That was – Re- Reggie went to SC as Pete became like Pete, and they were getting number one recruiting classes. He was a big deal, hit the ground running. Like, their careers didn't take the same arc. But, and you could, I mean, I think it'd be hard to argue that Alex probably didn't have a better NFL career, right? All the playoffs as an NFL quarterback, probably more impressive. Yeah. But yeah. What a run. I, um, I, that was the one thing from that doc I, that I wanted was a little, just some helix, some more helix high. Yeah. You know, like, just give me the option. Just give me three minutes with like some music, you know, just pictures of all these coaches that were showing up. You know what it felt like? Remember Tark's, you know, Kentucky cheated so bad they busted Cleveland State? Did SC, for all the guys that get in trouble and programs that get in trouble, this felt like it didn't quite add up. Wait, it's like you're banning him for taking some money for an agent to leave? I, I saw Ted Miller, who I don't even think covers college football anymore, had the tweet like, in the SEC, they pay you to stay. SC got railroaded. They got nailed and busted, and the guy got banned for getting paid to leave. <laughs> Like what? What were we doing? It the 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 crime no. never fit the punishment, no. and the punishment was just kind of outrageous. Wait, he's not even allowed to be around. Yeah, was it was it like this attempt to scare everybody else? Because it's like, look, I I get it broke the rules, and you shouldn't not punish somebody you catch, 
But why is this when we know this is just how the sport operates? Why is this punishment so outlandish? Maybe they were just trying to make an example that was never didn't it, didn't stick it feel anyway. like they were just coming at SC with all yeah, guns with the blazing fur- the fury of every lost case behind them? You, you you do wonder if they were never coming. Does Pete leave, or was he just always going to get know. the itch to go? I, I don't know the answer. I mean, you know, I, I would guess yeah. I he he. Pete he was got a, a chance guy to coach had, on the West Coast. He'd been right? an NFL coach twice, so you could understand. Him still what else could he what else could age. he accomplish at SC? Yeah. To me, when I think SC under Pete Carroll, the first that comes to my mind, Reggie Bush, I'd probably say the second is the trio of Clay Matthews, Ray Maluga, and Cushing. Yeah, the <laughs> linebackers. It was like, oh my god, I just remember those guys putting like Oregon State players in body bags. Like, what are we watching? What, and remember, they couldn't, they'd always lose one game a year and they couldn't win the national championship. But you just watched them and you went, I'm pretty sure, like, how are these guys not killing people on the football field? I know. I miss Pete SC teams. Yeah. They were fun. Glad Reggie's back. Uh, all right, should we get on to uh, Coach Shaw? Yeah, let's talk to him. Uh, before we do that, before we get to David Shaw, John, let's tell the people that this podcast is brought to you by DraftKings. Here's what you got to do. Download the DraftKings app and use the promo code HAM. Download the app, enter the promo code HAM. Guy, golf is back. Watching it right now on my screen. Mm. Next week, the RBC Heritage, Hilton Head. This guy named Eldrick Tiger Woods, also Stanford grad like David Shaw. Uh, Sources say his his yacht privacy heading up. You can get in DraftKings games. You download the app if you haven't already. Promo code HAM. You get a chance to win a million-dollar prizes with your first deposit. You just pick six golfers. I'm playing in a bunch of games right now. Uh, it's really easy to do. It's fun. It keeps you locked in. There's nothing else going on. So, I mean, if, you, if, you're a sport, if you're listening to this podcast, you like sports, I mean, just easy way to keep track. Racks up points for pars, birdies, finishing position. It's really easy. Again, just download the DraftKings app now. Use the promo code HAM during sign-up. And for the next, I mean, as we move forward in the summer, you're going to have golf tournaments every single week uh, putting you in the action with a free shot at a million dollars. That's code HAM. And you get a free shot at a million dollars in prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Deposit bonus requires a 25-time playthrough. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. All right. This is awesome. Uh... We appreciate Coach Shaw. This is uh, one thing you'll hear us talk about. He, Stanford got, I'm sure, just inundated, and him inundated with interview requests. And so we appreciate him um, doing this. We appreciate him doing this. One of our favorites, David Shaw. Here we go. This is your your first Zoom of the day. And uh, I'm sure every coach will be Zoomed out by the time uh, you finally get back into the office. How many Zoom meetings did you have before the uh, national pandemic, do you think, in your entire life combined? Well, that's the funny thing, because I had never heard of Zoom before the pandemic. Um, Now I'm a Zoom uh, expert um, and wish I invested a long time ago. Um, But yeah, like most of us coaches are in the same boat. You know, we went from not knowing about Zoom or maybe hearing about it to now being able to share our screens and set up our own Zoom meetings uh, and invite people to and change our backgrounds, obviously. Um, so it's been a, it's been a, a, an education over the last couple of months. We've heard the NFL coaches and just all sports. I, I was watching something with the baseball GMs a couple of days ago, how they think it might just change some of their processes. You know, for you guys, especially during recruiting, sending your coaches all over the place and then trying to come back for meetings, and you guys are such a <clears throat> national recruiting base in the way you guys operate. Do you think this Zoom and this experience the last couple of months will just change a little bit how you guys operate moving forward? Absolutely. Um, we, we look at difficulties as challenges. You know, that's how football coaches' minds work. Um, and we're a national recruiter, and I think we, we do it extremely well. Well, this has forced us to be better. It's forced us to adapt. We've always had guys that maybe can't afford to make the trip um, uh, in the summer or in the spring. Um, so we've had to do things, but now I think we've gotten better. So now we're able to have 
visits without people leaving their own homes and we can show all the things that Stanford has and have now we have uh, in the can so to speak talking like a like a TV guy I've got some things in the can now um, to speaking where, our lingo yeah, exactly um, professors and uh, our strength coach and so we have all of these now these presentations now so if we do down the road when everything opens up and people can still travel there's still maybe somebody from the east coast that just can't make the trip well now we can give them a uh, high quality, still not the same, but a high quality visit um, from 3,000 miles away. So have you done any virtual tours like Nick Rolovich with a phone taped to your forehead riding your bike around campus yet? I uh, I stay in my lane. Um, I think that's one of the, the beauties of, of our conference and coaching in general is everybody, you're always successful when you're yourself. Um, and that's not me. Um, I love Nick. I, I've enjoyed getting to know him. Um, but I think it's, there's so many different ways that we can be ourselves and, um, you know, science tells us, you know, the studies tell us that even though this isn't face-to-face, it still operates like face-to-face in our brains. Um, so this is a contact, this is a, a personal contact. So we're still able to get to know people, um, and, and show our personalities, even though we're not close to each other. One thing all over the country right now, different restrictions for different areas, and you're in an area in the South Bay that's still pretty strict. Uh, I would imagine there are Pac-12 coaches that are allowed to go into their office right now. Are, are you guys allowed to go in your office? I take it, are, are you at home right now? And how uh, do you have any idea, if you're not at the office, when you think you can get back? Well, we're all hoping that if not the middle of this month, toward the end of this month, um, our our county is one of those that starts to relax the rules. Um, but, you know, we're not in the office right now. And the biggest thing is that we get our guys back early enough for them to start working out, starting to get prepared uh, for the season. Uh, we've proven over the last couple of months that we can do a lot um, from our homes. We can do a lot through Zoom, through sharing our screens, through tapping in, you know, for the first time ever. And now I know how to get on my computer from my house and my computer that's still in the office. Um, so now I can get all the files that I have there so we can operate at a very high level without being in the office. Um, so my, that's, our, that's our hope now is as we get closer, we don't have to be in the office to get our, our, our jobs done. I saw your athletics director, uh, Bernard Muir, said, I think it was today or yesterday, that having he's very grateful to have had you the last couple of weeks when the, the focus obviously has transitioned from COVID-19 to the social issues that we face in this country. Um, and he was grateful for you, not just because of how you handle your football team, but kind of your, your counsel with everything in a much larger picture, the whole department, everybody's teams. Um, what, what has been your message? What have you tried to communicate, not just to your football team, but to, to the people you've come in contact with these last couple of weeks? Well, for me personally, um, I, I struggled for a good four or five days. And um, we've talked before. I have no issue usually finding words um, to describe how I'm feeling, what I'm thinking. Uh, it took me about four or five days to truly synthesize a sentence that 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 I could relate to anybody. Um, but what what helped me is two things. One is is focusing on what's important. So um, we're able to have those family conversations before I had any other conversations. Um, my wife and I talking to our our kids about what's going on, um, and then beyond that was talking to my team and talking to the leadership on my team and getting a gauge for how guys are feeling and what guys would like to do and. Um, I still didn't say anything publicly for a while. Um, and after talking to our guys, and our guys actually put out a statement first, um, started by our fifth-year seniors. And uh, that, I think, really helped push me into a direction to say, you know what, I don't, I don't have to – and which people are contacting me, if you can imagine, to not just speak for coaches but to speak for all African-American coaches. And I'm not going to speak for other people. Um, what I decided to do, though, was support my team and – um, accentuate their message that they put out. It was first a statement and then a video. Um, so we, we put those things out and they were very organic. We didn't tell them what to do. We didn't tell them what to say. All we did was give them a platform. Um, I'm so proud of those guys. And um, that for me was 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 big because you know I, I, I recentered myself in what's what's important to me, which is um, the teaching and mentoring aspect of, of my position. Um, so from there, I've I've helped and talked to a bunch of different people around the country, a bunch of different organizations. Um, I haven't, there's so much going on social media and so many good things going on, on social media. I haven't really jumped into that. Um, 
I've decided to do to the things that I do to be more, more personal and talking to people, um, talking to Cory Booker, my former teammate, um, who's a U.S. Senator, who's pushing legislation, um, talking to former players that are that are doing things in their communities, talking to commissioners of other conferences, talking to other coaches, other places, talking to businesses. I've talked to three or four businesses um, about, um, uh, you know, education and, and minority issues and um, justice issues. So um, that's the kind of the path that I've taken. And, and I feel great about that because once again, that suits me, that fits me, um, which is a lot more personal, a lot more hands-on um, than really saying main, making a whole bunch of statements um, for the public. Is there a pressure you feel, like you said, African-American head coach, everything that's going on, and just the, the platform that just football definitely is on, people come right to you? You know, I mean, they're, you're probably in a, in a small group of people that they will immediately, what is David Shaw's opinion on this issue? I would imagine your phone from reporters and networks just kind of go off. Was that, a, was that a tough balance, like you said, to just kind of make it personal, make sure your team and your family come first before, you know, how do you balance that? Yeah, that, that part wasn't tough. Um, people that know me know me really well. Um, and it sounds so bad saying it, but I think it's just the truth. I don't feel pressure. Um, I don't feel pressure from other people. I, I refuse. I refuse my entire life to let somebody pressure me into doing anything. And if I don't do what somebody wants me to do, then that's on them. That's not on me. Um, I do what I think I, is right. Um, I'm a prayerful person, so I, I believe that I'm trying to do what's right, um, both close to me and, and, and globally, the people that I affect. Um, so there have been people that have reached out and tried to um, say, hey, you have to use your platform for this. And um, when I'm in a good mood, I just chuckle and I say thank you for your opinion. Um, when I'm not in a good mood, I have choice words for people that try to tell me what to do, um, which has never worked for anybody um, uh, since I've become an adult. Um, so uh, that's that's what and that's what I counsel people to do. Um, that's what I talk to my team about also is, hey, if you're going to say something, make sure it's backed up by um, by by more than just your emotions. Um, get facts and figures if you want to say something publicly, because so that way you can defend it. Um, and at the same time, uh, I don't I don't believe in pressuring other people to do what you want them to do, and I don't believe in responding to pressure um, to do what other people want you to do. Um, so that's that's kind of where I, I I stay in my I stay in my little lane where what I believe is right and saying what I believe um, we should do. Were any of these topics, conversations you had with your dad when you were either growing up or maybe transitioning from athlete to coach? We didn't have a lot of conversations then because I had, I lived with him and I was getting to the coaching profession and I'd seen uh, his career. Although it was, it was an outstanding career. He's a, you know, a great defensive coordinator. He's one of the top recruiters every year he was in college. Um, he was an outstanding defense coordinator in the NFL and two of the biggest turnarounds ever. Um, what he did at the Raiders um, was was unbelievable. Um, what he did with the Chargers when he went into the Chargers, the, when he went to the Super Bowl, so has a lot of respect. Um, but I also watched him come in second multiple times for head coaching jobs, um, college and the NFL. And after the fact, most people reaching out to him and saying, gosh, you know, I think we made a mistake. Um, so I, the, I, I watched firsthand and, and here in the scuttlebutt that some places just weren't ready to have a black head coach, you know. Um, so so the getting that non-apology apology, apology uh, and, and for, to my father, watching that happen. So um, there were no – I went into the same face first. I understand um, uh, how this, this world works and how this, this college football world works. Um, so I had no misconceptions. Um, I knew it was going to be difficult. Um, but at the same time, I had – I had an ally that my dad didn't have, which is I had first and foremost my father and his career. And he opened a couple of doors for me. And I went in and I worked extremely hard. And I was connected with some some really good people. Going to work for Ray Rhodes at the Philadelphia Eagles um, was huge. Um, getting hooked up with John Gruden, you know, at the time was was the Wonder Boy. Um, and John, John didn't care if I uh, if I was young, old, white, black, whatever. My, my job was to come in at four o'clock in the morning and work my tail off. And if I did that, then I was his guy. Um, so John advanced my career by years um, because I worked hard and I was smart and I figured out what he wanted me to do and I did it to the best of my ability. So now at one point I was the youngest um, quarterback coach in the NFL 
and one of the few black quarterback coaches in the NFL. So, um, you know, part of it is the mentality to go in with, but it's also, you know, getting getting grabbed by somebody saying, "Hey, you know what? You're doing a great job. You're coming with me." Um, so, so the mentality I, I had developed, uh, just watching my dad go through what he went through, um, knowing that it was not going to be easy, um, and that I was part was on me to work my tail off and do extremely well. And the other part was was working with the right people and getting the right people to to help you. You know, Guy and I were talking before you got on that if you would have told me five or six years ago, especially when he made the play against Michael Crabtree, that Richard Sherman, you know, would one day not just be a Niner, but would be kind of, I mean, the voice of the Niners and you could argue non-quarterback, one of the voices of the league. You know, just, I mean, what he's, the way he's spoken, you know, through social media and stuff the last couple of weeks, but overall with the CBA and what he meant to this team. I mean, they had a couple issues last year with Nick Bosa when he was drafted, some things on social media, and then an announcer got in trouble. And Richard just, he's just, you've always been in his corner from day one and supported him. But I think the country is kind of, he was probably one of the more polarizing players in the league. I would say he's probably one of the more well-liked and respected guys in the NFL currently. It's kind of crazy his maturation of his career Richard Sherman's like a member of my family um <clears throat> we as coaches love all of our players we get closer than, to some than others um Richard Richard is just kind of meandered his way into my family like my kids love him uh, my wife loves him and we've had a lot of conversations over the years and I'll share one with you uh you mentioned that play against Crabtree <clears throat> and the ensuing um interview, a post-game interview that made him famous uh, around the country, really, in some places uh, outside the country. And we had a conversation right after that. And I said, okay, you're going to get judged for that conversation, yelling and screaming and, you know, saying what every defensive back in America says. You're just saying it right after the game with a lot of emotion, um, honestly, to a, a Caucasian female reporter, right? So there, a lot of things happened. He was called every name in the book after that. And I, so I told him two things. I said, number one, I said, now you're going to have to defend yourself and who you are because you're going to get attacked for this. Um, I talked to him pretty much as soon as he got dressed after the game, um, which, is, which I said is fine. I said, because people are going to get to know you. Um, so let them get to know you because you know, right now that's all they're going to have to judge. Um, and, and he did a phenomenal job in the, the ensuing two weeks, I believe it was. That was one of those was two weeks until the Super Bowl. Yeah. And he gave more interviews than maybe any non-quarterback in a two-week span in maybe the history of the NFL. Um, and, he, and he won so many people over after that. Because really think about what he said, which was, I mean, any good corner would say, like, you don't take that guy one-on-one against me with the game on the line. Like, that's a sign of disrespect to any corner in America, right? You're going to throw the fade route on me to win the game? Like, you should go with the other side, right? It was basically what he said. Um, which is fine. He just said it really loud and very aggressively. Um, but over the next two weeks, I got so many calls from people saying, wow, I judged Richard Sherman. I, I thought he was something. And then I heard him speak and gosh, he's really, really smart. And my response always was, he's a Stanford man. You know, he's a Stanford man. So <laughs> here's a guy that, that graduated salutatorian from his high school, um, graduated. I, I don't forget his GPA from Stanford or something like three, five, three, six, something. I can't, something like that. Um, he's brilliant. He's very, very smart. So uh, later down the road, I, one thing I said to him was, Hey, you know, the, the Richard Sherman from Compton, that's the one that plays core in the NFL. The Richard Sherman from Stanford should be the guy that gives the interviews. Um, so that's kind of where we decided to, to meet in the middle. And, uh, and he's been awesome. He's very thoughtful. Um, he's very emotional about a lot of things. And that's the only thing that I talk to him about now. Um, he's too old for me to, to, to try to ever contain. I just try to remind him like, Hey, you know, just like I tell the team now, you have something to say, back it up with facts, not just with your emotions, explain yourself, um, and, and he does an outstanding job. I mean, John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, those guys aren't, no one's going to contain him, right? No, no, and, and, and I don't think he ever really want to. Um, uh, Richard's a fire hose, so every once in a while you just want to try to make sure it's pointed in the right direction. Um, but the water's coming out, it's coming out fast. Middlecoff always told me when he was scouting, he's like, you don't understand these Stanford guys. They're just different. And I, and I would always say, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sure. Like, it's super hard to get in. Like, yeah, of course they're different. But he's like, no, you don't understand. They are different. They are not like anybody else. And then I started interviewing Stanford guys. And I finally, he was like, do you, 
I told you so. Don't you understand now? I said, yeah, okay. Now I, now I get it. I don't, and I'm not trying to be funny. I don't know what salutatorian is. I didn't know there was something <laughs> above. Is that above valedictorian? Well, that's valedictorian is the high, like salutatorian is, is somewhere underneath that. I okay. wasn't a salutatorian, but I, I just know that it's pretty good. <laughs> Man, they, they didn't give those out at Davis Senior High School up the road. I know <laughs> well, they did. Myself. That's not to us. <laughs> no chance. You, you know, a, another player who I'd say the two guys that are synonymous with their head coach kind of pounding the table over the last six, seven years was Deshaun Watson and Dabo and, and you and Christian McCaffrey. And I think both – I mean, they ended up – Christian went eight and I think Deshaun went 10th. I mean, they both went really high. But they were polarizing – Players coming out of college, Christian McCaffrey has just, I mean, blown. I thought he was a good player, but holy moly. I mean, he's probably one of the top five non-quarterback offensive players in the league. Safe to say you are not shocked. Uh, Where do you think he can go from here? I mean, is just the sky the limit? I mean, we're talking a Hall of Famer. You've always kind of said that, so I I wouldn't imagine you change now. (laughs) So college football coaches get a bad rap for just – pumping their guys and promoting their guys, right? It helps in recruiting. It yeah. helps your guys, you know, know that their, their coach has their back. Um, so first, I'll start with Sean Watson. So Dabble and I are really good friends. And I went to go visit Clemson the spring before their national championship. And, De- and, and, and Deshaun was hurt. So I stood next to Deshaun during practice. And I've never been more impressed by a guy not practicing ever. Because what he would do is, Every play call, he would watch the signal, he'd watch the play, and then he would give an evaluation to Dabo after every play. Hey, this is what I saw. This is what happened. This is where this guy was. The quarterback did the right thing or he did the wrong thing because X, Y, and Z. He did it for every single play. His vision from the sideline was amazing. His anticipation of, okay, nope, nope, he made the wrong decision. Here's why. Right? The rotation of the safety. The outside linebacker was too wide, blah, blah, blah. And I, I just – I was amazed at his his brain and his anticipation and his and his ability to relate what was happening. Um, so I, I understood why Dabo says, "Okay, you see all the great plays that he makes, and people weren't sure about him because he's surrounded by a lot of great players. But then once you once you get access to that to that kind of a brain, I mean, that's it's a Drew Brees brain, it's an Andrew Luck brain, um, and you're you're around that, you know, and you're trying to tell people." NFL scouts to come in, you know, you're trying to look at the height, weight, speed, and what he does this, ask the questions, but getting the answers is not the same as living through it. So I know Dabo, why he was pushing so hard. And same thing with us and Christian McCaffrey. Um, Christian, you know, all I heard from all the scouts was, okay, well, you're not a big back. And I said, don't tell him that because um, he operates like a big back. You ask him what he wants to do. He wants to run the ball between the tackles. Um, and he wants, to, he wants to have 30 carries and wants to take your heart in the fourth quarter. Um, so you, you see the height, weight, and speed, but sometimes you don't see the heart and you don't see the work ethic every single day. The worst stare that Christian McCaffrey ever gave me was when I stopped letting him practice on Mondays because we're trying to take care of him because he wants to take every practice, every, every rep in, in practice too, every single day. And it was just, he's like, you're holding me back. Like, I want to go. Like, I want to go full speed. I'm like, dude, we're going to put – 30 touches on you on Saturday. Like we have to take care of you on, on Monday and Thursday and Friday. Um, and he, he finally got it and realized that we're taking care of him, but you're right. And, and being with him every single day and seeing the explosion and the quickness and the anticipation and the toughness and the work ethic and the leadership. Um, I kept telling people like, you, you have to watch him first. You have to see him live. Watching on film is not the same. When you see Christian live, everybody says, Oh my God, like, how did he get out of that? Like, how did he, how did he accelerate like that? How did, how did that happen? That he shouldn't have gotten out of that. Um, but then once you're around him for a while, and I'll tell you one, one conversation I had with Christian, it was the, the spring after his big year going into his junior year. We have a deal after the coaches come back off the road, have all the guys around, have a barbecue and, you know, talk and, and you know, see each other. We hadn't seen each other for a couple of weeks, about, um, about, about a month doing spring recruiting. And Christian grabbed me and gave me pretty much a person-by-person evaluation of the entire team. This guy's working hard. we got to get on this guy. This guy needs to do this. This guy needs to do that. Hey, this group is working really hard. I like where they are. We need a little bit of growth in this position here. And after the, after the conversation, I was like, why am I coming to work? Like, this guy's running the team. <laughs> he's got it all. He's motivating them. He's pushing them. He's telling everybody what to do. 
Like I could coach from home. This is easy. Um, and that's what you don't see on film. And I knew the moment he stepped on the field, no matter where he went, he was going to go from rookie to team leader in about five minutes. I know uh, Reggie Bush wants his, his Heisman back, but, you know, McCaffrey, there, there's a list of guys who probably should have won Heisman's. Christian, I don't know if people realize that Christian has, John and I were talking about this earlier, 400 more all-purpose or scrimmage yards in his career than Reggie did. Had almost as many touchdowns. The highlight film is just as crazy. They both have those little Babe Ruth legs where it's like, why? Did, like the film is sped up. Um, they both were killers in the return game, except the difference was really Christian carried more of the load running between the tackles than obviously than Reggie did. Did you think at the yeah, yeah, Lendell White you know, took a big load uh, off of Reggie, which you can't really blame Reggie for. Yeah, um, but yeah, when you you watch the film for both of them, and you just say, "Wow!" And I know Christian; that was one of Christian's most most exciting moments early in his life was the day he met Reggie Bush. Um, Cause he looked up to him and part of the reason why he wore number five um, was the dynamic play of Reggie. And um, it was, it was a, it was a joy for, for Christian because it was a sign of respect that he, he, he passed two of his idols. Um, one was Barry Sanders uh, broken, breaking Barry Sanders all time record and then breaking some of the records of, of Reggie Bush. Um, Cause those are guys he looked up to and tried to emulate. We've spent a lot of time talking about, from an NFL perspective, the no off season. I mean, they didn't even have OTAs. Some programs, you know, got a couple spring practices in, but you know, all the spring games basically canceled. But a huge part of your off season, probably even more than the NFL guys, is building eighteen and nineteen year olds' bodies, right? With with food and definitely the strength and conditioning program. Are you nervous? Just because, unlike the NFL, these guys have money and they can get to places. And I think you've seen on social media a lot of them can and have. How are your guys maintaining the lifting and the eating that they would typically do would when they'd be on campus over this three-month hiatus? Yeah, I think there's a similar feeling um, in the NFL and in college football um, that even those guys that do it really well, it's still not the same as training with, with your team. Yeah. It's still not the same as pushing yourself with the other receivers, the other defensive backs. Um, you know, some guys go to gurus and, and do great workouts. Um, but, but you feel you're not sure about your entire team until they all come back. So, um, we've been sending our guys workouts. Um, our strength coaches have been checking in with them, uh, making sure they have everything they need. Um, our, 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 our nutritionists have been checking in with them uh, on their diets and giving some guys some guidance. Um, our trainers are checking in with them, especially those guys that are rehabbing. Those guys are really worried about wow, they yeah. finish, finishing their rehab away from us because um, that's, the, that's the hard part is really finishing that rehab. So we've got a good plan for whenever they come back um, that we're going we're gonna to ramp up pretty slowly. Um, the most important thing is we, we get them back. We get them back healthy um, before we get a chance to, to play. And we, and we have some level of comfort that they'll be able to play uh, the entire season so that those first couple of weeks back, heavy on the strength and conditioning, um, but heavy in such a way that it's going to be a priority to make sure that they're 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 ramping up slowly, um, and then getting ready to get into training camp. I want to ask you about uh, Davis Mills. You know, obviously when he played, he had some big games, set Stanford's all-time single-game passing record against Washington State. Um, I know Albert Breer wrote recently that Daniel Jeremiah told him Davis Mills would be a give me he said he just kind of asked him like give me one guy that's going to pop into the first round that people don't quite realize and he said him John and I were watching some of the highlights from the Notre Dame game and I I didn't even quite realize how athletic he is maybe I judge guys with a knee brace um you know just like subconsciously I'm serious but then he made one move in that game where he escapes a tackle and takes off run for a long run through a nice touchdown to Michael Wilson uh, give us your your scouting report on why you believe because I know you do believe in in Davis Mills so much. Yeah, and and Daniel and I work together um, at the Baltimore Ravens, and and he and I have always pretty much seen things very similar. That's why I love uh, talking to him about guys because we usually pretty much on the same page. Davis Mills, we saw him in high school. He's it's one of those evaluations to where you're not looking at what he does well. You say. Is there anything he doesn't do well? Um, and it's one of those things where very quickly, arm strength, um, athleticism, uh, quick release, 
the impromptu plays where he's got to go on the move and he keeps his eyes down the field and the, the, the ridiculous plays where he's rolling to his left and throws a ball, the, 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 the terrible decision, great throw plays, you know, Oh my God, don't do that. Wow. That was a great throw. Um, all those things you saw in high school. And I went to, when I went to go um, do the, the visit at the school and I sat down with the coach and I was asking him questions. He's a coach. I can answer the questions. I'm going to put a game on. We're going to watch every single play and you're going to see everything that you're looking for in a, in a quarterback. And he was right. I saw, we saw it all stepping up in the pocket, throwing guys in his face. And this is, this was his junior year. I'm like, is this, can this guy get better? And he was better his senior year. Now the, the issue for, for Davis has been, he got hurt. I was at the state championship game where he got hurt. Um, so his, his freshman year with us, who's still rehabbing, we're taking our time. He comes back and gets hurt again. And so even when he started to play early in the year, he still wasn't 100%. Um, even in the game, he got a chance to start against USC, which he played well, didn't play great, played well, still wasn't 100%. Played a little bit again later when, when KJ got hurt and still wasn't 100%. When he came back, I think those last four games of the year, he was 100%. And just like you said, you saw all the things that he can do. He made a throw um, with a guy in his face on the run against Oregon State for a touchdown. That it's and, and all of our coaches, you know, Ron Gould was at, at Cal with Aaron Rodgers. And he says, gosh, that was an error. That was an Aaron Rodgers play. You know, he made a play where he spun out of spun out of three tackles and ran for ran for a first down. And we said, okay, that's that's the Andrew Luck play. Like we have all these great players and he does these things and he does them pretty, pretty easily. Um, he dropped a ball in a, against Washington State, probably the best throw of the, of the night. We're backed up. A guy in his face. And throws a go route to, to Connor um, Weddington. With the guy was draped on Connor's shoulder, and the ball landed right here. And we had a timeout a little bit later. And Davis asked Connor, he said, "Hey, where'd that ball come down?" And Connor said, "Right here." And Davis said, "Yeah, I thought so." <laughs> so it's just it's one of those deals where he's got the supreme athletic ability, the supreme arm strength, and all the quarterback uh, things, and the and the accuracy. But he always also has that confidence, and not that arrogance, but it's a confidence of, yeah, I think I know how good I am, and that kind of exudes on the field. And I feel the same way. Um, I think by the end of the day, he's going to be probably one of the top five quarterbacks in America, um, and and we'll have. I don't think he'll have a tough decision to make because um, I think he'll have a great year, and he'll be ready. He'll be ready for the draft. You know, be great to have him for two more years, for another year after that. Um, but I think his ability is such, and if he plays the way his ability is, um, he'll be one of the best guys. One thing I've always been fascinated by is when really successful people, and I think athletics is a great example, coaches and organizations have a down year, you know, that aren't used to down years, that just success, success. And you guys have had so much, you know, since you've become the head coach. And even the last two years before 19, you guys had won, I think, 18 games in two years. And then last year did not, you know, injuries and everything just snowballed. But th does your message change? Uh, obviously, the pandemic hits, but, you know, your plan for the offseason. How were you planning on approaching the offseason if the pandemic hadn't hit? Was there a, or was it just simply just get back to work and, and we'll be okay? Well, I learned from a lot of really good coaches um, that you have the same process after a difficult year as you have after a good year. Um, and that process is still holistic. It's still from top to bottom. Even at, even those years after we run the Rose Bowl and we're top five in America, we st we still go back and look at everything that we did and evaluate everything that we did. Because um, when you have a lot of success, sometimes you, you think that you're better than you are. Um, so you think everything you did was great. And you go back and when you really look at a fine-tooth comb, like we wasted 40 plays during the course of the year, which doesn't seem like a lot, but it's, it's a lot of plays. Like, yeah. why are we beating our heads again? Now, we won the game and won by two touchdowns, but we're running a play that we shouldn't run with our guys because they they're not doing a good job. So you get, you get glossed over with success. Um, now, it's easier to be critical when you don't have a good year. Um, so that part was easy. Um, but the hard part when you, ha when you don't have a good year is you look back and you say, hey, you know what? There were some guys that played really, really well. Um, you know, our receiver play I thought was really, really, really – good the entire year. Simi Fajoko broke the school record for yards per catch. Michael Wilson had an outstanding year. Connor Weddington had an outstanding year. Um, so you're looking at those guys and saying, okay, look, let's continue to accentuate what these guys do well. We're still excited about Osiris St. Brown and what he can do for us. 
Um, let's look at our running backs, our young running backs. They didn't play a lot, but gosh, they played in spurts and they did some really good things. Our young offensive line, they learned on the job, you know, pretty much daily. Um, and there's some things that they did really well. So it's really going back and finding those things that you did well and those things that you didn't do well and looking at the team coming back and making a plan for the next year. So uh, staying true to that process, I think, has helped us continue to be successful. And I don't believe in changing that just because you had a bad year. Um, there's some things that we have to change, some things that we can do better, some things we need to do better. Um, but as far as the process goes, and I do think our coaches and our players felt good about that because we didn't just yell and scream at everybody and throw things out the window because we had a bad year. We're very systematic, as we talked about before we started spring. Like, here are the things that we did well. Here are the things that we didn't do well. And here's how we're going to get better at those. And here's some things that we're just going to kick out. We're not going to do anymore. And, hey, you know, we did some studies from NFL teams and college teams, and we think these things are going to fit. So we took some things out, added some things, accentuated a few other things. Um, and I think our guys feel really good about where we're going right now. Coach, uh, we could talk to you forever, but you have 30 more Zooms to get to. So we appreciate you making time. It's great to see you. Always good to see you guys. Thank you. Thanks a lot, Coach Shaw. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela. The mark of a fighter. Trick responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Import, Chicago, Illinois. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park.